Hey, welcome to the 104th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Inlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today it is just Matt and me. We've just had a lot of things on our mind, nothing too crazy, but just some stuff that we've been seeing in our work, mostly things that I've been thinking about, and so Matt and I thought we would chat about them today. We just have a bullet list of interesting things that have to do with directors. We're just going to dig deep into Oren's psyche. We're going to learn what makes him tick, what makes him insecure, what makes him motivated. Oren, you've had a couple things on your mind. Hit us. What's on the what's on the docket for the day? We're going to talk about whether or not we like our past work and how it informs our future work. We'll talk about something I've been really curious to ask you, and I'd like to do it on the podcast, is like, you keep getting drinks with people, like what that, how you set that up and who you're getting drinks with and what you talk about. Um, oh yeah, that's alone. That's spoiler alert. It's just alone at a bar. <laughs> oh. I just describe it that way so I don't feel bad about myself. Right? People just do kidding. Your own nickname. No, no. no um, we'll talk about that. And then also like, uh, yeah, if you get a coffee with someone, like what what the whole point of it is, like what you're trying to get out of it or not trying to get out of it. And then I've been working on a lot of treatments this week, so I wanted to talk about treatments. Just something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Okay, well. So as people painfully know, I've been working on my directing reel. I've actually got a bunch of texts from people saying that I, we talked about it a little bit too much in the a previous episode. <clears throat> but um, in working on my reel, I've been reviewing a lot of my old work. And I know that a lot of directors like hate their own stuff. Like, you know, you make a movie, you've seen it like a thousands of times, and then you go to the film festival and you don't even want to go into the theater. Which, by the way, you made a short and you've watched it in the theater like a million times. Isn't that hard? You know, well, it's different because I didn't direct it. I just produced it. So there are things where I was like, well, I told her to do it differently and she didn't agree with me. And th- I think uh, the nice thing about that is that most of the time I learned to really like the decision. And there is something incredible about watching a movie that you're really close to over and over and over again because you do see different things every time. And so um, a film can age like a fine wine, Oren. Right. It's alive. And because I'm a baby step removed from it, uh, it's a little bit easier to not beat yourself up over those small mistakes. Right. And you can appreciate it for what it is instead of like worrying about like a bump in the steady cam movement or a weird right. performance thing. Um, yeah. But so I, I think most people, since they see their work so much while they're editing it, once it's out in the world, they can't look at it again. But now I'm revisiting a lot of my work. I have stuff in that my reel, which I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. That's like eight or nine years old. But it, I just like, really, you know, it has either like a celebrity in it or it has a cool look or a cool something that makes me want to keep it in my reel. Um, and I've been watching a lot of my really old stuff and I'm really, I'm like cracking myself up. It's like some of it's funny and good. And I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. Uh, we, we did this one thing when I worked at Disney. It was like a we did the series of origin stories of different characters from mythology. And one of them was Santa Claus. And it's just this guy that's like trying to start a business, like a toy delivery business. And like he's kidnapping kids and asking them what they want. And, you know, I mean, we've all seen like the creepy Santa Claus thing, but I feel like we really nailed it in a weird way. Um, That was just like really making me laugh. So one thing I want to talk about is like, like how much you like your own previous work, like how proud of it you are. And also, have you ever made something that made you has made you think like, ah, 
I shouldn't be a director. I just made this like really crappy thing and I should stop. Or is it always like, okay, this is a mistake I made last time, but now I'm going to fix it for the next one. Or do you not even think about your past work? I, you know, I think about my past work um, less and less the more work work I do. You know, your passion projects and like your your babies, I think you kind of <clears throat> tend to spend more time and you're a little bit more thoughtful and you're kind of marinating it a little bit longer. So, of course, the I think the reciprocal reflection period is a little longer. So, like Squaresville, which was that first passion project, you know, 16 episodes a season, two seasons, that's a lot of stuff to go look at. And you can definitely see... Uh, an improvement in the filmmaking and the writing, certainly. Do you ever send Squaresville to people nowadays? You know, I do still, because it was just past that, the DSLR bump, where it's still, you know, the the depth of field was shallow when it was supposed to be (laughs) and things like that, you know, and it's 16 by 9. So it's aged relatively well, and it's mostly still like funny actors saying funny things and so it's not the most cinematic but uh it's aiming to be a quippy quick slice of life sort of comedy and so i think it it, fortunately it's aged pretty well in that regard so when you send Um, it to people do you say like by the way this is old or do you ever give any disclaimers yeah sometimes yeah definitely and um but also because it was my baby it's kind of the clearest version of my voice I've grown a lot since then, so in that way, it's a little hard to send it out sometimes. But when the shoe fits, I'll send it. Right. Um, I wonder if Darren Aronofsky like sends people pie and says like, "Yeah, it's like a little kind of uh, crappy." <laughs> uh, we we only spent sixteen thousand on it. Um, yeah, I doubt he does. But you know, I think that the other nice thing about having a larger body of work is that then you can kind of be specific about why this thing is a good comp, right? So I don't send Squaresville out on commercial bids, but I do send it when I'm doing slice of life, scripted, coming of age comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. And I do every once in a while when I watch it, I'm like, oh, that's exactly my taste. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, I've done two features and I've been looking at them a lot because I'm just trying to find cool shots from them or good moments for my reel. And I like, I really like a lot of the shots from those movies, even though I kind of made them a while ago and I've shot so much stuff since then. But what I realized through working on my reel and looking at them a lot is like those long, awesome steady cam shots or camera moves. They only really work in features. Like in a commercial, you're never going to have like, unless it's a one or which you're probably not going to do a commercial that's a one or I, I don't know, especially a comedy one. Yeah, sure. Um, because you want to be able to edit and shoot coverage and make it work and the client's going to want to do all these different things. Um, but in a feature, you have the time and I have all these like awesome steady cam shots. I have this, I have a few scenes that are oneers that like I have one that starts, you know, on a sign and it goes to a, a cop and her daughter is there and she, her and her daughter walk somewhere and they sit down and they meet a third person and the camera like goes around them and follows the cop and this person into an elevator and goes up to the second floor and then looks over the balcony to for the daughter to say a line and then comes back and it all more or less works. But I could never put that in a reel because it's like a three minute steady cam shot, you know? 
Um, and so it made me appreciate the feature <laughs> a little bit more in that <laughs> that's where you get to put those like really cool shots, mm-hmm. you know. And I think also when you're just starting out, you've got so many ideas and you've kind of been saving them up and you're ready to just kind of throw as much as you can into your your baby. Um, and I think as you work a little bit more, you maybe hold yourself back from some of those ideas because they were dumb or brash or overreaching or just because you fall into the things that you like best. And it's neat to look at that old stuff and say like, Oh, I know what I was going for. And now I know how to nail it or, Oh, I should do that thing again. I keep forgetting. I loved doing that when I was younger. Yeah. I used to do all these like really weird transitions, you know, camera moves and things that mm-hmm. I've kind of dropped off lately, but I want to, I, I I think I want to reintroduce them a little bit. And I also love when I find like my old storyboards and notes and I realize that I actually did them, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, I'm like never very happy with my work. And I, I every single thing on my website, I'll be like, ah, I wish this was better, this was better, this was better. But never in a million years has any of that made me go, hmm, maybe I should stop doing this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. To me, the person that should stop doing it is the person that thinks their work is like perfect, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I am fond of every once in a while you'll meet a person who's just like, check this out, it's dope. Um, and I like a little bit of confidence as well. And I think that it serves people pretty well. But there's something fun about knowing what to improve. Like when mm. I, you know, my first movie is this deaf guy and he doesn't talk that much because he's deaf. Uh, and so there's a lot of quiet moments in that movie. And I, I wanted my next movie to be like wall-to-wall dialogue, right? Because yeah. like, I, I felt like that's what I was missing for my first movie. So anyway, and we're, we're all kind of inspired by our mistakes, hopefully. Yeah, I think that with experience, I tackle each project with um, a more specific goal. Like when, I think when you first start out, you're just like, I want to make a great movie. And that's always going to be the goal, but also you can be like, oh, I really want to master dialogue on this one, or I want to add more steady cam shots, or I want to do this specific thing that I feel like I want to hone a little bit better. And so in looking back at those projects, if you can remember the specifics of what you were trying to attain in the moment, then whether it's, we've all made stinkers before, and it's kind of just like stand-up comics bomb. You know, right. like that's kind of part of it and I think makes you better for it. Like that's how you grow. But if you can remember what you were trying to improve upon and then see if you did it, that's what, you know, is really helpful for me when looking at my old material. Yeah. And I'm just, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to brag for a second. Oh, but, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> my first movie that I watch and I think it's just like the most boring thing ever. Like nothing happens and nobody talks and everything's slow. And there's all these long shots of people looking forlorn. Uh, we shot it in 2009. Uh, and so almost 10 years ago and three times in the past month did we sell the college screening rights to it. And that were totally cold called, like people reached out to us. They found our, website and like emailed me and the producers, you know, Eben and Joe and myself and said, uh, Hey, we found out about your movie and we want to show it to the students at our college. Like, can we do that? And we'll always write back and say like, yeah, it's going to be like 500 bucks or whatever. And then they're like, sure, let us know where to send the money. So it's not a ton of money, but 10 years later, the fact that people still care about that movie, 
even though all I see in it is like how boring it is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, man, that's great. So I, I guess the, the other lesson is like sometimes trust other people's opinion of your work <laughs> because you are a horrible judge of, of it. Yeah, you're always going to go back to the time that you wished you picked up another take. But if people are responding to it, that's empirical evidence that somebody liked your movie. Maybe you should right. listen to it. Cool. Well, should we move on to the next topic? Let's do it. So this is like a real conversation between you and me that we have not had off the air. Uh, so you had drinks the other day. Sure. You saw our friend Rosie and Maureen, our yeah. past guest together. So You funny. were surprised that they knew each other, but of course they knew each other through UCB. To clarify, um, I was at a different drinks and right. then ran into them. Right. Who were you at drinks with? So in that case, I was with a development executive on um, one of my projects and a writer that he had recommended. And so was the drinks for you to meet that writer? Correct, yeah. So, And that writer would potentially work on one of your projects? Correct, yeah. Why was it drinks and not like a meeting? Um, so drinks is just the word for uh, an after-hours meeting that is not dinner. I, so, so, right. so, oh, sorry, let me, let me go back a little bit. So most of the time when I talk about going to drinks, it is not as formal or fancy or Hollywood sounding as that one was. Like most of the time I have just, you know, emailed someone and they were not available for coffee and we both have other like daytime engagements and, you know, my wife is busy that night. So I say, hey, let's go to drinks. Um, so, and then you guys each pay for your own drinks. Yeah, or, you know, depending like if... Typically, if the person I'm having drinks with works at a company where they have an expense account, they will pick up the tab. Um, but And who's like, like, is Kate Grady the type of person you would email yeah, to get a drink Yeah, with? definitely it had gone to drinks with Kate plenty of times. She's a producer that we has been on our podcast before and has we've both right, worked correct. with. Correct. And is an old friend. And, you know, it's, it's akin to coffee and a totally, it's basically the exact same as coffee except for that it's before dinner and after work. <laughs> and so that that is the main equivalent. So is it usually with people that work in an office as opposed to people that are freelancers? Yeah. Or people who work on the west side, though the which is for people who don't live in LA much further away than the east side. It takes a minimum of 35 40 minutes, probably closer to an hour to get over to that side. So if they are work on the west side but live on the east side, or they need to kill time in some way, that can be convenient as well. Um, but yeah, I remember when I was an intern and like helping to schedule drinks, being like, what What are you What are you even talking about? It is a weird thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just coffee, but with booze. Well, so every time you say, oh, I'm getting drinks that night, I can't record the podcast, you do it without me. And I have to explain to you why that podcast would just be too good for us to and I say, shut up, just um, No, I wonder, like, I, I think to myself, like, oh, I want, I should be getting drinks with someone. Like, how do I set that up? Who should I, who should I get drinks with? Yeah, I, that, that's a great question. So I, I think it, you know, it's funny. It's not like I have a drinks relationship with everybody, I don't think. But it, it really, I think it boils down to do they have a day job where their meetings are so stacked that we wouldn't get, you know, an hour, 
or so of time otherwise. Right. I guess maybe a more specific question is, should I have an agenda when I get drinks? Like I have, I have a friend who, um, he started that company Maker. And he moved to New York, and now he is in L.A. And I was like, hey. And he listens to this podcast. Um, oh, great. Hello. Well, he's listened to a few episodes. We'll see. But I was like, hey, let's meet up for lunch. Um, and then I was like, oh, I should probably, since I'm meeting up with him for lunch, I should probably have like a reason or I should have some ideas or I should talk to him about I, something. I don't think so. I think that, okay, you're helping me coalesce what, what a drinks or a coffee or a lunch is. And basically, I think that there are plenty of people that you have met over the course of your career where you don't have a a specific project to pitch them or talk to them about or whatever, but you both have an affinity for each other. You like each other in some way. You're like pals. You're friendly. You like working with each other, something like that. And it would be weird to be like, hey, I'm going to schedule a general with you. (laughs) Right. Right. Every six months. But you still want to keep in touch with them. And so that's what these lunches and generals are. So it's like, you, I don't think, it's not like I'm having a drinks with the same person every other week. It's like I'm catching up with a person who I haven't seen in a while and I want to know what they're doing and, uh, you know, just kind of keep the relationship going. And, you know, they tend to also be like, you know, people who are, on the friend spectrum. Do you right. know what I mean? Well, so let me ask you, this is me just getting super weird. And I know I've been, I've been in LA for, you know, 13 I, years. I, so <laughs> I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I feel nice because normally I feel so awkward with people that like feeling like I have some insight into <laughs> the rituals of people interacting with one another makes me feel incredible. <laughs> That's, I don't know it's ever happened before. Okay. But so like the other day you had drinks with Matt Pollock, right? I had coffee with that Pollock. But yeah. Okay, coffee. Yeah. So it's a similar setup, just the yeah, daytime yeah. thing. Yeah. So what do you talk to him about? What he's been working on. And then vice versa. And so you guys just Yeah, chat just you just then, catch up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I guess I don't know. I'm I'm trying to do more of that. My friend Mo, who is like this really talented actor, comedian, funny guy that I've been friends with for a hundred years, but I haven't seen him for a while. Um, I just scheduled a lunch with him for next week. But I'm like wondering, is there, I guess I'm trying to figure out if all these meetings, you know, we always tell people on the podcast, like they had to come to LA. Part of this is coming from the fact that like a few of our listeners have like asked me to meet them for coffee, right? And we meet them for coffee. I meet with them. And my new thing is like, hey, this is where I'm going to go at this time. You should come. you, You called it office hours. I think we mentioned it on the podcast before. But then once we meet, it's like, I don't know what to talk to them about right <laughs> you know? well I and think... i try to be i'm trying to be helpful and but i also don't want to be like hey i'm like your mentor you know i don't want to be like mm-hmm. giving an unsolicited advice or anything i mean for all i know they know way more than i do so i guess yeah i yeah. guess i'm just trying to figure out the like how you approach these things i think you're kind of saying it already which is like there is no agenda you're just chatting with someone yeah, and also, I normally with these people, it's in an effort to maintain or reconnect with someone. You know what I mean? 
So that's part of it. It's like we have a shared history of like, oh, what have you been working on since we worked on that thing together? Or, you know, how are our mutual friends? Have you seen these people? So it's it's a much easier conversation, basically. Whereas if you're just going into someone without ever having meet, met them before, it can be less ritualistic or rigid, right? So like, like in a general, and I'm, I'm sure people have heard of this before, but like in a general, you know, normally you kind of sit down and like... Uh, You'll chit chat for a few minutes, and then the suit will tell you what um, about the company that they work for, who founded it, what they're looking for, maybe how things have changed if you've worked for with them in previous years, um, what they like particularly or whatever. But you'll you'll watch, you'll see them. There'll be a shift in their posture, and all of a sudden they'll be on that spiel that they literally they say every hour to every single person that comes in there and you just sip your water and you listen you ask a few intelligent follow-up questions and then there will be a, a handoff where all of a sudden it's your turn to talk about how you know you did this, these things and it's so nice that they liked the thing that they saw that you made and you really think that you could work with them well because of x y and z and it's so nice to hear that they're looking for you know transmedia cross-platform VR projects because that's what you specialize in or you've always wanted to do, right? And then, and then that's the, the platform from which you jump off of, right? There's a little bit of like, you know, uh, home turf that both people have that make it easier to kind of launch the conversation and then ask follow-up questions on. But if you're just kind of coming in cold and you don't have any of the context, you know, you're kind of stuck with, well, tell me about yourself. What do you want to do? What do you like, you know? Right. What's funny is like, I mean, I've been to a million general meetings. They're easy. It's exactly right. You tell them about yourself. They tell them about themselves and what they're looking for. It's like a Google Home and an Alexa having a conversation (laughs) together. Right. But you're there to learn about each other. But when you're having drinks or coffee with like friends or acquaintances or coworkers or whatever, but, but you've reached out specifically to schedule them. Like, hey, I have not talked to you for too long. Like, let's meet up for a coffee or whatever, drinks. I don't know. When I I moved to LA, I was in my early 20s. You know, I had a bunch of roommates. We'd go drink and party and hang out and make videos and do stuff with other people all the time. It was like socializing with people was part of my everyday existence for my first 10 years here. Um, Now that I'm married and have a kid and a wife and all this stuff, I feel like I need to work a little bit harder to go out at night and have a little bit more of a specific goal and agenda and reason why I'm leaving my family to go do this. And so it's like a little less casual and a little more formal, which I guess it doesn't need to be. Well, I think there's a couple of things to clarify here. One, I think drinks, there's kind of an intrinsic, if you're setting a meeting, it's going to be like about an hour. There's that. Okay, good. And then also... um, uh, And how do you end it? Are you like... Well, it's just kind of nice chatting. Yeah, it's like sometimes they'll have another thing scheduled. Sometimes they want to eat some food. How to date? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, But the other thing is, like, I know that I can get a little anxious in a group setting. I like having, um, or an unstructured setting. I like having a little bit of these preconceived notions of what an interaction is going to be because it makes me feel a little bit more in ease and I can engage with the person a little bit better. I'm a much better one-on-one guy than I am like a group party guy. And I've learned that about myself. And so that's part of also why I think I kind of prefer basically to maintain relationships and friendships one-on-one 
in six month increments than just see everybody all at once and have a dinner party or something like that. Like that uh, makes me a little antsy. And so um, that different strokes for different folks, guys. You know, like not everybody is going to want to do that, but I kind of just took to it due to my own quirks. Right. Yeah, no, I prefer the one-on-one as well. It does also feel like a better forum to kind of figure out. It's it's funny, like, because I'll meet up with my friends or people I kind of know and try to figure out what we can do together, you know? Sure. Um, and maybe that's not... That's not how I should think about it. I think it's okay to do that. Your point basically is that in quote-unquote setting drinks, it, right. there's maybe a... I feel uh, an obligation to explain with, to them. It's laced with business. Well, I feel like right. an obligation to explain. Like, so my friend I just had lunch with, I a friend had was in town from New York and invited a bunch of people out for drinks. And I happened to see uh, Josh Rubin there, okay. who was on our podcast before. Um, and he's with Rosa Salazar, who was in Charles Hood's sure. movie, who was yeah, on yeah. our podcast. Rosa was an um, old college humor person as well. Oh, cool. Um, and so I saw them and I saw all these other people I didn't know. And I've talked to this guy for a while at the drinks and I was having a really good time catching up. And then I emailed him like the next day and I was like, hey, you want to grab lunch next week? But we had just chatted and caught up on like what we were all doing, you know. Then I was like, oh, do I need like a reason to meet up or can I, can we just meet up for lunch for no, I mean, it's someone, he, he's like a friend of mine, but I haven't seen him in probably like three years, you know? Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's like with, with everyone. I, I know I'm coming off as like this deranged, anxious person that doesn't know how to hang out with their own friends, but it's not like saying like, Hey, you want to go see this movie or Hey, you want to go check out this new restaurant or this show or whatever. It's just like, Hey, you want to hang out hey, in the middle of the day the for quality no time? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is, you know, I think maybe a little bit of corporate experience and like maybe specifically development and talent in particular. I think maybe they tend to do that a little bit more. Or maybe I just picked up on one person doing it and was like, hey, I, this will work for me. I can do this, you know. So I I think the big takeaway is like there's a lot of different ways to socialize with people, but it is it is okay to in an effort to want to maintain relationships, schedule them. You know, sometimes that's going to work for people. And sometimes just running into someone is, is fine too. Um, and also it's going to shift. But I think being, you know, out and social and seeing people early on when you're younger or when you're on set even, like developing those relationships and fostering those, I think that will be a thing that makes your life better, whether it's helping your career or just like, it's nice to see friends on set and work with your peers. Right. Would you ever get drinks with Bobby Lamb, your DP? Uh, Bobby and I will get uh, lunch more often because he lives on the west side. Ah, what a dick. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it's funny, actually, old college buddies that I crew with, they're people that I've realized recently I have to go out of my way to make sure that I hang out with because it used to be that I it would just happen incidentally because we'd all just be hanging out and I've lost touch with them in a way that bums me out. Um, and I need to put in the effort to see them the way I'm putting in the effort to maintain, you know, other acquaintances and stuff. You know, it's crazy. Like, you know, Jess who shoots most of my stuff. Yeah. The last few years who's shot most of the things I've directed. He lives like three blocks away from me. Yeah. When was the last time you the hung out with time him? I ever see him as one yeah watching. totally and that's great that's okay you guys both work a lot 
but then Jess is going to book a feature and he's not going to be available and you're going to meet another DP that you like and you're going to work with that person a bunch. Like, you know, um, that won't always be consistent. And then one of these days it's going to be two years and you haven't seen Jess in a while. <laughs> right. I guess I'm just saying maybe I should just like hang out with more people. Just hanging out. Yeah. No strings Hey, man, attached. set some play dates. Oh, oh, oh the other thing I wanted to clarify, um, on that last drink, drinks, everybody had uh, sparkling water. So it, you don't have to be like getting drunk every night. You know, I'm sure there are people there who are like, I'm not a big drinker. That's okay. It's, it's not a big deal. No one bats an eye at it. And also in Los Angeles, they will figure out a way to charge you $8 for lemonade. Right. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for that weird therapy session. You just gave a grown man about how to hang out with I have people. literally never felt so comp- competent in my social <laughs> experiences, and I doubt I will ever again. I do wonder if it's like your background in development. Because, I mean, I've worked for a big corporation and worked in an office mm-hmm. and done all that, uh, but I've never worked in development where part of your job is meeting yeah. new people and kind of feeling yeah, them yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. And also like sitting next to my boss's assistant for a long time. And overhearing them scheduling things. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. So the next thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is you saw the Oscars. I did, yes. Correct? You were like one of the six people that watched the Oscars. Oh, man. Apparently the least watched Oscars of all time, which I don't know. Should we care about that? No, No, I don't think so. I mean, I think I care that, you know, about box office much more and I want I care about like small movies failing much more than I care about the Oscars not having a huge draw you know I I'm pro cinema culture in general and the Oscars are part of that and I really like it I have a good time I like embrace the Oscars full on yeah I love I mean I watched the whole thing all four hours of it or however long it is well so you know Guillermo del Toro won for best Picture, yeah, right? Shape of Water and Best Shape yeah. of Water, and which I totally disagree yeah, sure. with, by the way. But uh, but the more I think about it, the more bummed out I am that Get Out didn't win. I want to Get Out to win the whole time, but like I I just can't stop thinking about how dumb it was. That it's crazy that it didn't win. Anyway, sorry, that's not yeah. Interesting, it's two things. I mean, Get Out is a movie we'll remember in ten years, and Shape of Water. Yeah. is bad in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> uh, so it's Mostly not that just, you didn't see the fishes. You know, I don't know. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> but it, it's also like a visual masterpiece and all that stuff, right? Like you could yeah. see how Shape of Water won because it hits every department, you know, the cinematographers and the production designers and the mm-hmm. wardrobe designers. And like yeah, the in craft a way that, is incredible. Yeah. That Get Out doesn't, you know, like, not yeah. that the production design and wardrobe weren't great in Get Out, but they just didn't call for being crazily imaginative in the same way that Shape of Water did. But anyway, Guillermo del Toro went up and he gave this speech and he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing very much. He's like, uh, I really want to thank the folks at Fox because can you imagine I came in there, uh, just this guy with just some storyboards and a maquette and telling, trying to convince them that I want to make a fantasy love story period piece about a woman and a fish man. And they actually bought it. Like, can you imagine? And they're, you know, I appreciate so much that they went on this, that they took this gamble on me and my crazy project, right? So I think his message, I didn't find that interesting because he's the, it's this Oscar-winning director. 
uh, that that had made created Plan's Labyrinth and had done all this stuff. Like it's not surprising that sure. Fox is going to yeah, gamble on him. Darling. By the way, yeah, yeah. That that movie came in under budget, and the budget was small, right? Like under twenty million dollars. Uh, for it's small for him, the guy that made like Hellboy. But what I found really interesting, and that I think is very uh, kind of poignant for our listeners as well, is that this is an Oscar-winning director that's been doing it forever. That's one of the most famous directors sure. in the world. He's a name brand, yeah. And he comes in with a fully formed idea, which, by the way, I mean, obviously most of us can't do this, but he had spent like supposedly a quarter million of his own dollars developing it. But he comes in with a 3D, with a maquette, you know, which is like a a statue of what the fish mm-hmm. man is like going to look like. Like an incredibly rendered Yeah, like after statue. developing it yeah. for years. Uh, he has storyboards. He has all this stuff. And he's surprised that they said yes to him, right? So what that says to me is like, like the people that make it, quote unquote, that get ahead are the ones that go so far above and beyond. It's not just that he's got this great vision, but he is like so unafraid to work hard to try to sell this vision on his own penny, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I think of it as like you look, I remember being a kid and you look over at the awesome science fair project or the really cool book report and there's, you have that thought of like, well, of course they're getting an A plus, you know? Like they always get an A plus. They're so smart and they're so great and they're so good at planning and all this stuff and they nailed it. That's who we're up against always. Right. And I guess, yeah, I, I kind of looked at it the opposite way, which is like, yeah, I've gone into pitch stuff and I'm like, hey, this is my idea. It's like something like this. I haven't quite figured this out yet, but it's like about three brothers with superpowers and they, I think they go on a road trip, right? And then you wonder why people aren't buying your idea when you realize these people with insanely amazing resumes come in with all this yeah. artwork and all this thought, all this passion. He said that he like cried at the end of his pitch because he was so um, invested in his characters. And he said everyone in the room is crying. Uh, like, so I, I guess it's just like, look at what these super successful people are doing. It, it's exactly the same as what you endorsed last week, which is a lonely island they created this amazing music video as a pitch to get a job to write a music video that probably would have paid them nothing. Uh, so, like, don't be afraid to go above and beyond, and I'm really trying to take that to heart. So this week I'm working on three different treatments. My first treatment was is for a commercial, and it's the first treatment I've done where usually, you know, we'll make a PDF file and we'll send it to people. And it's like a 15-second commercial, and we made a 25-page treatment because something I've learned a lot and I think we've learned through the podcast is like people appreciate effort almost more than content and showing people that you're really invested and really care and really have thought a lot about their work is flattering to them, so it helps you. And also, it's the thing that's going to get passed around. So you have to assume that no one is going to be there to pitch it for you. Even if you've got, even if your best friend is in the room and really wants you to get the job, at some point you're going to be forwarded in an email to somebody else who's a decision maker. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is like a 25 page treatment always looks better than a three page treatment. Exactly. Because even if they're not going to read the treatment, which they probably, most people probably will not read every word in your 25 page treatment, they'll just see 
how much time and effort and thought you've put into their project. You're putting the cool like uh, plastic cover on your book report. Right. And so it's a good move. But so usually we send that PDF around. This time we made an interactive treatment that has like video and animated GIFs and all that stuff in it. So like while you're watching, while you're going through the treatment, you're getting, not only are you getting images that are helping you figure out the tone and everything, but you're getting real live video. I mean, that's pretty cool that I, I'm curious to see how people respond to that because it's not printable and like some people are old school. Well, we made it in a way that it was printable. Oh, cool. Um, like we chose the still frame that would represent each video. Awesome. So it's still laid out like a treatment, but it's animated if you look at it on a computer. That's pretty cool, man. Um, it's Yeah, it's all through Adobe InDesign. It's called like an interactive PDF. That's but, pretty uh, cool. But so that was one treatment. Uh, the second treatment, the one I was telling you before we started recording, is part of the concept has to do with like these various devices with screens like a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a TV talking to the camera. Mm-hmm. And so I have a friend that has like a very photogenic house that's bright and mid-century modern, like really airy and comfortable and colorful. And so I just went to his house today and I actually borrowed his camera, a 5D Mark III, <laughs> with his like beautiful lenses. And I just shot these devices like kind of still lifes around his house. Cool. And I think my treatment is going to be like 70% my photos and then yeah. we Photoshop them with these faces onto the devices. And I think like I've never done, like I've Photoshopped one photo or like did a one 3d rendering or something for a treatment. But I think it, while I was photographing this, I was like, I feel like right now I'm not the number one choice. Like I'm kind of mm-hmm. probably not going to get it. But once I finish this treatment, you're going to be a like, contender. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be a contender because look at how all this stuff I did. Uh, I went and did a whole photo shoot. Like the commercial is pretty much done um, if we wanted it to be. And I haven't even had the call with the client yet, which usually you would do your treatment after the call with the client. But I got a little bit of insight in, as to what they like. And Anyway, so that thing. And then my third thing is to meet uh, on a show. And they didn't ask for any materials, but... Uh, because I have a week, I had a week between finding, like reading the script and the meeting. I am basically just making materials. I'm making a little treatment. I'm making, finding visuals. I'm trying to like anticipate ways to shoot things that are kind of difficult in the script. And I hope when I go in for my meeting, that stuff comes out because I've had a lot of, I mean, both of us have met on a lot of series before and stuff. And we're like, yeah, no, I like the script. This is cool. I think this could work. It needs a little work, and this is awesome, and this is exciting. And I was thinking maybe tonally it's like this, but it's mainly talking. But I want to come in and be like, yeah, I love this idea. Here's a way we can do this, and here's a test I'd shot, and here's like some visuals, and here's someone else that did something similar. So I love, I love all of that, and I think um, the trend that I'm seeing is that Guillermo del Toro's superpower is visuals. He can draw really well. He's got a background in vfx right but and also like practical vfx he's a sculptor he's a painter he's got a a literal shop of people who can manufacture and fabricate things for him right and so of course he's going to bring in this awesome maquette and then also these awesome storyboards that he all drew by hand and i'm sure he brought in one of his famous notebooks that's just filled with ideas that people can flip through and wow how cool is this it's like peeking into guillermo's brain right 
Um, whereas you are a great photographer, you're great at Photoshop, you're good, you're really great at like layout and design. So of course this document is going to be super rich. And I think that the thing to maybe ask yourself uh, or oneself is what is what are those skills that would help you stand out, right? Like it's interesting because I think that maybe my strong suit in the room is my ability to talk. And so I tend to want to give people less things to look at or be distracted by because I want them to listen to what I'm saying because I can convey passion and set a tone and confidence, right? Um, but so I, I'm sitting sitting here thinking like, oh, what would be, if I really wanted to go all out, it's not like I'm going to. No, but you did. You, for your feature, that script that you were working on that I, I know you, you might have moved on from, but you made a Ripomantic. That's you, true, yeah. Um, and that's like, of course, we'll go in there and talk. Everyone will go in there and should be passionate and be able to talk about it. But you have like three days before a meeting. What are you going to do in those three days? Are you just going to think about it? Are you going to watch a bunch of movies? Are you going to do stuff? Like how frustrating would it be if you went in for a job and you had this amazing pitch and theme, themes and performances and actors and ideas and then someone else gets it and it's like, oh yeah, look at this freaking awesome animation that they made and showed sure. it to us. Like, so it's like, I want to try to bring that personality and passion mm -hmm. and dialogue plus something else almost just in case somebody else brings something yeah. else, you yeah. know? No, that's interesting. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I remember the first feature I ever pitched on, which obviously I didn't get. I overprepared and it ended up, I think, boring them. And that's, that's why I scale back my pitches a little bit because it was like, uh, I've got 30 pieces of this deck and I'm going through a minutia like themes and ideas and visual references and how I would shoot it and all this stuff. And I lost the room. Absolutely. Right. Well, th that's the thing about visuals is you need to use them to replace like what you're saying as opposed to like add to what you're saying, which is, I guess, the opposite of what I just said. But it's like, if you can sell the tone in three pictures, mm -hmm. you know, then you don't have to be like, yeah, it's kind of like this movie meets this movie, but this way and that way, you know, um, it, you know, it, it's something that can get people excited in a way that sometimes just words have trouble yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think also if you're giving them something to like talk about after the meeting, you know, like you guarantee, a guarantee when someone, because every every development executive is going to have a weekly meeting with all of their bosses and all of their coworkers, and they're going to go around in a circle and they're all going to talk about the meetings that they took. And when you're an executive and you can say, "Oh man, I sat down with Guillermo and it was incredible. Like you all said, it was going to be. He brought in this maquette, and by the end of the pitch, I was crying. That's a bona fide sale." No one has to quest, question like, oh, are you, you sure you want to buy this movie from Guillermo del Toro? He's like, no, I just said I was crying and he brought in an incredible statue. Whereas like, if it's like, oh, you know, uh, Enlo came in and uh, he talked. He's He seems pretty passionate. <laughs> there's not there's not a hook to that, you know? And so it is, there's salesmanship to it. Whereas if I talked and then made them cry at the end, that's something that they can right. say, you know? Well, I think my move with this meeting is going to be going in there talking not too much, but just being excited and then just saying, by the way, I like wrote up this treatment. Can I send it to you afterwards? Just some visual ideas, just just some some of my thoughts and visuals and then just email it to them afterwards. But of course, 
the immediate hour after that meeting incorporate any of that feedback I got in the room into my document and then send it to them. So just they could be like, oh, wow, this is like so, like something that clearly I wouldn't have been able to like create in the hour after the meeting. But I don't know. That, that, it's just something I've been trying to do more of lately because, you know, you, you have to do something to to stand out and to show people. It's I don't think it's like trying to outdo other people, but I think it's a visual medium. And if we can show people visuals or like Brad Payton, who's on our podcast, the way he got to do journey two is he had music that the rock could listen to while he was reading the script like anything you can give people to immerse them in your vision even if it's the wrong vision in quotes uh it shows them that you really care and are and you've willing thought to about go it. beyond just right. reading a script and having yeah. a chat don't just phone it in yeah so that, that's my new thing i'll let you i'll report back on whether i the first spot the one that i did that interactive pdf i I have a feeling I'm not going to get my second call with a client. I didn't feel super warm. Um, so so we'll see. I mean, I'm not saying it, it works. Oh, we have two more points and then we'll move on. My point is that investing all this time into this cool visual treatment, these photographs that I made, these animations I make, this other book is valuable even if I don't get the job. And now I have something that I can pull from for the next project that's similar. I can show people examples of treatments. I've made something, even if it's literally just for five people and they rejected me based on it. I have something concrete that's a lot more than a conversation. And your skills are getting honed, right? You're getting better at all of that stuff. You're getting better at layout. You're getting better at graphics and all that stuff. And and being able to communicate. And I'm saying that some things don't work. Um, My thought was, I, I think that, you know, in previous episodes, I've talked about when sometimes someone is sweaty or they're trying too hard. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think that being honest with yourself about <clears throat> what the room is looking for and um, and what you are best at, kind of matching that up is also part of this equation, right? Like if I walked in with a maquette and uh, all of these storyboards and... Uh, and didn't really own it um, or was self-conscious about it or wasn't myself, that could potentially, and I've seen this happen, be a, a pitch that goes very poorly, right? But in the circumstances of like where I had taken pitches in the, the past, it was kind of just be hilarious, be hilarious and cool. And that was what the room was looking for. So like, the best pitches were ones where people were laughing all the time and people were charmed. And then the idea seemed really cool, you know? So I think there's a little bit of that to it as well. And I think commercials are really neat in that there is a built-in expectation of treatments and visual references and things like that, that you get to do. Whereas like just pitching a show to Comedy Central, it it would be too much, maybe. Or maybe it's perfect for your show. You know, if you're not pitching a movie about a fish man then maybe you don't need a statue of a fish man i guess is what i'm saying so right well there's the melissa hunter method which is tell a story from your life and get people like crying before you even tell them what the show yeah i mean i i would argue that her superpower is engaging right and so it's anything you can do to get people engaged in your story don't you don't have to limit yourself to 
just yeah. talking. Yeah, they're not inherently bad audiovisuals and, and props. But a, a prop, right. you got to own it, and it's got it's got to be I will incredible. Say the, the PowerPoint presentation or deck, it can work, but it's really hard yeah. to nail. And I've I've messed it up yeah, multiple yeah. times. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for chatting about that, Matt. Good stuff, Oren. I think it. I think it's time for unpaid endorsements. Oren, what do you got? It is a thing that I just found out about. Did you know, Matt, that at Starbucks, if you are uh-huh. a member, a uh-huh. gold member, which means you use their app pretty much to buy coffee, you get free refills. Oh, all day long. That's pretty good. Yeah, if you're not a member, it's fifty cents. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, it's I just I've had the app forever, but I've never used it. I just usually pay with Apple Pay because I just like love Apple Pay so much. But now I'm gonna use the app instead, and I'm gonna just be getting oh, free yeah. refills yeah, all day good. long. Um, yeah, free refills on coffee. I'm I'm behind that endorsement. I like that. Um, mine is it, mine is very Oren esque. Is it the new tutorial on video? No. Oh, compiling? is there one? Yeah. New oh, dang. Glitch. Oh, that's ex- so it. exciting. I know. Yeah. He's been really busy. Boy, Andrew shout Kramer. out Andrew Kramer. No, but th- it might as well be this. Um, so we talked about making decks so much. Have we talked about just buying a great deck off of Envato or any of the other popular like plug-in or design sites? Right, you and I have talked about it, but I don't think it's ever. It's been a no-brainer, and it feels like it feels a little weird because it's like ah, they 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 tend to be on the expensive side, and I can't really find many free, great templates. So you end up spending some some cash, thirty, fifty bucks. You're talking about I'm a talking keynote about a keynote template? or PowerPoint template, yeah. And they they feel it feels like oh, this is a stupid thing to spend money on. I could make this myself, but. In my case, I can't. I wouldn't do as well as this as someone who has professionally designed a great looking template. And you can get like, you know, they have like 30, 40, 50 slides. So like any different shape that you need. And then uh, it's really upped my game in terms of present, presenting ideas to people. So well, let me ask you a question because I've tried to do this a lot, but they're so usually so business oriented, these decks. How do you find ones that are like? What do you type? You do into have your to look search? quite a bit, and I found that most the the deck that I ended up buying, I only use three or four of the pages on. Definitely, it's like it. Okay, because they all seem so. Yeah, like, there's definitely right? don't get dissuaded by a gl- like charts a, and graphs, a and globe with dots that connect from different parts of the world. <laughs> Yep. Presentation. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff in there. So don't don't let that bother you. There's still great stuff. I mean, I'm always shopping for big splash images. That's the main thing. Yeah, I just found a pretty cool one. It was it's like a food it's like for mm-hmm. to pitch a restaurant or something, but it's got a lot of big Yeah, big images. images are still the name of the game. And it's like kind of fun. A lot of them are mm-hmm. really sleek in a way that unless you're pitching on like I don't know, like right. a medical or music or videos or like a serious. lifestyle outdoor campaign or something like that. Do you buy a separate presentation for each uh, no. you make? Or no, I actually went back to my old standard just the other day on something. And um, it's also nice, you know, talk about building up a little bit of, you know, skilling up a little bit on your um, layout skills. It's nice to go back to a template that you've used a bunch of times because you kind of know 
all of the combinations that you like the best. So you go a lot faster that way. Yeah, I guess, you know, something that's like worth looking for sometimes if you want a lot of images is like a mm-hmm. portfolio. Portfolio is probably the keyword uh, template. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah. Two, oh. uh, two real nerdy endorsements from two real nerds. Hey, I don't know if you're a real nerd. I think you're more mm, just like endorsed. I'll take it. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. No offense. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, another good episode. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. You can check out all the things that we talked about at justshootitpod.com. You can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, all of the places. At justshootitpod is our handle for almost all of them. If you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. We will read them on the show. Uh, or, you know, I, I met someone today that listens to our podcast, Marshall Lemming, and he said he tried to leave us a review, but he can't do it through his Android. I told him to get an iPhone if he wants to be taken seriously, but he did not like that. And that's that's strictly untrue. But also, uh, you can do it on iTunes. I think you can do it just on like iTunes.com. Okay. Yeah, we appreciate the effort. Give it a shot. This episode's music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the Artist Jazar. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. And me at Smitey Pileg. And the podcast at Just Shoot a Pod. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.